Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have Mehdi Magsudnia, founder and CEO of One Health, the leading testing as a service platform. And in this episode, we go through how One Health got started, what they're doing today, why Mehdi chose on this particular problem and industry to get involved with. And in this episode, we go through what One Health is doing today, how it got started, Mehdi's thoughts around building a team, how he funded One Health, what they've done to acquire customers, and how he looks at go-to-market strategy, testing of different channels, how he thinks about pricing, how that plays a role as well, the competitive landscape around One Health, what they're operating in, educating a market when you're creating a whole new market. One Health is a leader in really a new category. So when you're creating a whole new market, he go through a little bit more about that. The ideal customer for One Health today, Many's experience investing in other companies as well, and much, much more in this episode. As always, these show notes are justgogrind.com slash podcast, and you can support the show by leaving a rating and review over in Apple Podcasts. Without further ado, here is Mehdi Maksudnia, founder and CEO of One Health. Mehdi, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you coming on. And with One Health, for people who aren't familiar, what are you doing with this company, Matty? Uh, we are building a platform for delivering testing as a service. Uh, so we make uh, medical testing simple, affordable, and uh, convenient. Um, and we can deliver a test to you anywhere, um, at work, at home, in a factory, uh, so just making the whole testing process uh, fairly simple to deploy and manage. And obviously now that's so relevant <laughs> and more than ever, but this was started even before this kind of global pandemic situation, if I'm, if I'm correct. How did you decide to start this company, Medi? Yeah, actually, um, we looked at the field of uh, medical innovation about four and a half years ago, five years ago and realized that um, we are increasingly using advanced diagnostic testing uh, to inform our uh, decision on clinical care. Uh, So as a technologist, we decided uh, to create an infrastructure that makes testing and analytics uh, and machine learning on top of test information easier. So we initially launched um, DNA testing as a service about four and a half years ago. You could actually uh, get a DNA test anywhere, uh, you know, to our uh, platform. And then we brought the information back and and, uh, deployed smart analytics on top of that information to allow you to to make recommendations to people based on your test results. And as the pandemic uh, took momentum in March, it literally took us about 20 days uh, to launch COVID testing. So the platform uh, really is flexible and powerful in terms of deploying large-scale testing uh, to a population and then bringing that test result back and allowing you to uh, apply intelligence to the results. And and from that too, just to take a, a giant step back here, you've been at a number of companies, led a number of companies, been involved with different companies. You could work on you know a lot of different things potentially. Why are you personally working on this particular problem, this particular industry? Yeah, I honestly um, have not been this excited for I don't know ten years because um, I started early on um, in computing uh, in the nineteen eighties at UC Berkeley 
we actually worked on the initial uh, uh, internet stack and, and um, Unix and all the sort of the underlying uh, code base. And then I saw the enterprise market evolve and I saw mobile and analytics and e-commerce. And um, what's exciting about where we are now in healthcare is healthcare is so early in this innovation curve. Uh, it sort of reminds me of the early days of internet. Like there's so much uh, room for improvement and there are so many interesting problems to solve that for someone like myself, that's, um, that's so I love learning and, and product innovation. Healthcare is just a very, very rich open space for problem solving. So I think a lot of people like me are uh, excited to jump into healthcare, uh, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I've actually seen a number of companies in healthcare doing some innovative things to your point of it just being right for disruption in many different ways and how people are going about that. It, it moves a bit slow, but you're seeing companies that are making a dent and whether it be like, obviously like you're doing testing as a service, some people are doing more focused on like senior care or, you know, at home telehealth type. There's so many different areas to get involved with. It is kind of interesting and fascinating to, to be in this industry. And, and for you then at, at One Health, when you first got started, I mean, what were some of the, what was the product initially? Um, from the beginning, it, uh, it has been uh, the same concept, which is can we deploy intelligent testing and then help people um, act on the test results? So in the beginning, we um, actually took your DNA and gave you recommendations around food, supplementation, fitness, skin. Um, and now we are taking your test results and, and allowing you to essentially um, decide on should be should you be socially isolating, are you okay? And now we are expanding our uh, COVID testing. So we're coming out with a COVID flu. So if you don't have COVID, but you have flu, we're informing you uh, what to do uh, and, and we give you some recommendations around how to take care of yourself. Uh, and in some cases, if you have COVID, we even put you in touch with a physician who follows up and, and gives you recommendations. So it's really about testing and then making that test result actionable. From that then, understanding that you, you're, what you're doing with this company now, and it's been a, a little time you've been in this already, how did you fund the company initially? Did you bootstrap? Did you raise venture capital? I'm curious. Yeah, we bootstrapped initially... Um, uh, by uh, the founding team just putting some uh, some money into the into the company and then we um, quickly raised a round of uh, financing through the traditional venture round um, and then uh, at this point we are profitable but uh, yeah it, it's uh, seeding ourselves and then raising a venture round was the initial financing and obviously that's being you know we so there's many multiple people involved take me through your team and how you decide who, who to link up with for this yeah, actually, that's a very good question. Um, by far, the most important factor in your success is your team. Um, and uh, that's what you spend probably the majority of your time <laughs> interviewing people, coaching people, working with people, um, getting people to be in the right mindset. Uh, that That's almost... Uh, the majority of your time. I mean, that's, that's just key. And, um, there's really no, I don't think there's any sort of, <laughs> uh, magic to it is, it's just, uh, 
typical, you have to be very clear about what position you're trying to fill on, on your team. You have to do a lot of interviews to find the right person. Uh, when you do bring that person on, you have to spend a lot of quality time getting them to understand how do they play with other team players on your team? Uh, what is their responsibility? Um, what's their mission? What's your vision? Where are you going? And a lot of uh, daily touch points to make sure that they have everything they need to succeed. Um, uh, it's, it's just a lot of uh, daily uh, work and focus on your team members. With One Health as well, in the early days, I mean, it's still pretty early overall, but how have you gone about acquiring customers on the customer acquisition side? I'd be curious to hear more about what you've done on that side. Sure. Um, we have tried almost everything. So <laughs> sort of you have to quickly test different channels, different dynamics. Um, literally, we have done everything. So we have had teams that... Um, uh, do enterprise sales, they knock on doors and talk to people. Uh, we have done, uh, you know, online digital advertising on Instagram, Facebook, and so on. We have done uh, channel partnership, affiliate partnership, uh, and, and certain uh, attempts uh, work and, and certain channels don't. And the ones that don't, you just, you know, retire them and put them away. And the ones that work, uh, you double down and you get very good at it. So um, we are now uh, obviously growing rapidly and profitable. That's because the few channels that we have found that have been effective, uh, we have been able to uh, you know, get very systematic about our spend in those channels. I mean, to the, day, to the tune of uh, knowing exactly what our CAC is, to knowing uh, what our turnaround in terms of account closure is, uh, it just becomes a science once you figure out the channel. On that note as well, with the different channels, obviously people are trying to figure out which channels are the best for them in any business, right? I mean, that's the big part of it is customer acquisition in those channels. How long are you giving each one of those or what are you looking for before you say, we're going to give up on this channel or we're going to you know, take this down a bit? I'm just curious on the timeframes or how you've kind of gone about that side of things, Mehdi. It's, it's an excellent question. Um, there is, again, no... Uh, you know, standard template. It depends on your product, depends on your team. Um, it's almost, you know, you have to be honest about, uh, you know, have you been systematic about the test of the channel? So the problem is if you don't do a good job testing a channel and it doesn't perform, you walk away and you're not sure if you fail because your execution was bad or the channel dynamic just doesn't work. Yeah. An example, I mean, we hired salespeople to go sell to, to physicians. And, you know, you have to be disciplined. You have to spend time figuring out, uh, do you have the right salespeople? Are you having the right conversation? Uh, are physicians interested? You have to really get into the detail before you walk away and say, that's just a channel that will not work. It won't scale. So we shut down that channel almost three years ago uh, after we spent about a solid probably six months. And we were successful in signing up, you know, hundreds of physicians. Yeah. But the economics of the channel didn't work. So that's the sort of thing where you have to be honest about your, your uh, assessment of the performance of your team, the economics of that channel, 
the retention numbers. It gets into a lot of analysis to to see if the channel long term is going is going to be profitable, uh, and and a lot of discipline to walk away if it's not. So challenging to to choose that and decide on that. And for you, I mean, everyone, there's many ways to go about this, but. Have you gone typically outsourcing kind of the, the even the digital marketing side of things versus in-house? How do you look through uh, or evaluate kind of that decision, Mehdi? That's also one of those things where um, if you have the right people in your team, then obviously doing it in-house makes sense. But if you're trying to test things out rapidly and you don't have the right people, then uh, you have to get into partnership to test the channel out uh, and keep keep tweaking and, and enhancing it. At some point you get good enough at that channel that it makes sense to bring it in house. Yeah. Um, and, and hire your own people because it's getting large enough and, and, and predictable enough. Um, and then in an ironic way, um, as you grow very large, you outsource again because you need more people. <laughs> so, so it's a very cyclical thing where, you know, you, you take it in house, you grow like, you know, maybe you can do a couple of million, you get to 10 to 20 million, then you need more structured help. You might get certain agencies to help you out. Um, but that's that's another one of those things you have to factor in depending on the cycle and the, and, and, the, and the spot you are in that channel and the resources you have available. Um, but uh, there, there are amazing teams out there you can hire. Um, they're also amazing people, but you have to have certain scale before those people join you, right? They won't join yeah. you in the beginning uh, if they're very good at what they do and they're managing millions of dollars of spend on a given channel. Yeah, just having a number of friends myself and kind of this customer acquisition uh, side of things. Like they obviously, if they have a great skill set, they want to join rocket ships that are doing really well or you're trending towards that. And then if you look at an agency, I mean, their spend is not cheap uh, for an agency typically that's doing really well. Um, so it's something to for sure consider. And on the note of testing that you mentioned as well, obviously you're, you're, you're testing as a service. So how have you gone about pricing in terms of your figuring out pricing? Because almost everyone I talk to, you know, think about like, we should double our pricing, we should raise our pricing. Uh, there's a lot that goes into that. How do you think about the pricing, Mehdi? Yeah, it's a pricing is um, a big part of your product strategy, right? So um, when you are designing a product and you're deciding where to go in terms of your, your uh, go-to-market strategy, you have to think very deeply about... Uh, the pricing that makes sense to that channel and also strategically what is your goal in that channel are you trying to uh, maximize profit are you trying to maximize market share uh, so a lot of factors come into your pricing uh, so so for example right now in covid uh, you can actually make a lot of margin in covid testing uh, so your strategy on pricing could be that I'm going to go after certain niche markets where real-time testing is is valuable and I'm going to maximize margin. Or you can take the approach that I want to maximize market share. So I'm not going to price uh, to where the market is willing to pay. I'm going to actually lower my price and margin, but I'm going to go after uh, you know getting into as many accounts as possible. All of those factors uh, really come down to what is your long-term strategy? What channel are you in? Who are you competing with? What is what is your overall goal on this product? Um, 
and that that comes out of uh, hours and hours of discussion, right? So uh, you have to have a deep understanding of of uh, where you're trying to go, who you're competing with, what the customer is willing to pay, what pricing model is sustainable, uh, what's your margin goals. Um, you know, it's it's a lot of sort of factors that drive that decision. Yeah, so many things that go into that and even uh, on the positioning side as well, like where do you want to position your company within the market? And with you, with, with One Health, what does the comp- competitive landscape look like? What's out there in terms of like where you guys fit in, in amongst us with, with the industry? Yeah, um, we are sort of inventing a new category of a product that doesn't exist in healthcare. Uh, so most uh, healthcare partners today uh, are used to buying a test. They're not used to buying a platform. So uh, the analogy, the closest thing to it would be Uber. Uh, You are used to sort of paying a taxi driver, not paying a platform. So One Health is a platform that is paying the labs. And so healthcare partners that, that, uh, you know, sort of, start to understand what we do for them, they initially uh, think of us as a lab. Then they realize that we're actually not a lab. We manage labs for them. And we manage labs for them in a way that uh, takes away complexity. They don't have to think about uh, shipping kits and tracking them and payments and insurance and uh, kids that went uh, missing in the lab. And so all of that complexity that you, they used to manually handle, we are doing uh, for them as a platform. Uh, so because it's a whole new category, we really don't compete with anyone. Uh, if anything, we come in and, and help them better manage their existing testing requirements, if that makes sense. Uh, but then that education takes time. You have to get the account to understand uh, that they're not buying a lab test, they're buying a platform approach towards testing. Well, with that, Mehdi, then what goes into the educational component of that then? A very good question. So that's a lot of um, lot of uh, sort of uh, lead gen emails, content, conversations, uh, podcasts like this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, a um, lot of enterprise sales. Uh, so, you know, and and benefit uh, that we are enjoying right now is because of COVID and the pandemic, uh, you know, a lot of healthcare partners are realizing managing a large scale uh, population level testing without a software platform is very hard. Yeah. But typically by the time they talk to us is because they have uh, tons of spreadsheets and uh, you know, footnote on who did the test where and where is it and how to track it. And uh, they, they typically come very frustrated because the process is not scaling. And uh, once they use our platform, it's, it becomes very obvious why you would, uh, you would continue to do so, right? Very similar to your experience with uh, Uber or Airbnb or other platforms like that. Once you use it, it just becomes very convenient. Do you have a, I mean, I, I, I'm curious as to how you view your kind of ideal customer and who you really actually want to serve uh, you know, initially, I'm not initially, but like ideally, because there's so many, 
as a variety, I guess you could, but in terms of different people you reach out to, who is your ideal customer today at Midi? Yeah, it's a it's a great question. So a lot of telehealth um, companies use us, um, obviously because um, they are talking to the patient remotely and they would like to send a test to the patient at home instead of having uh, a patient who is uh, experiencing symptoms uh, get in a car and drive to a lab. So a lot of telehealth companies are using our platform to manage remote testing. Um, corporations are using us. Uh, typically, a, a company wants to test their employees, which are now spread across many geographies. We give them a central dashboard where they can uh, manage all testing uh, and track who has been tested, uh, what the status has been, uh, what is the level of compliance per geography. Um, and then uh, we help uh, really uh, deploy rapid testing into uh, environments like schools. So imagine that uh, your university, you want to test uh, on a weekly basis 5,000 people. Uh, we make it really simple to just uh, you know put up a, a table, hand out the kits, and track everything centrally to our dashboard. Um, the testing we do is also self-administered, so you don't need clinicians involved. It's a spit kit that uh, people just, you know, take back to their dorm or to their home or to their office and spit into and, and drop ship into the lab. There's no need to have clinicians involved and, uh, you know, set up PPEs and stuff like that, if that makes sense. Yeah, a bit simpler from that as well. And, and I know that on top of what you're doing with One Health, been an investor as well, a number of companies, advisor, different companies as well. Uh, take me through a little bit of that in terms of why you decided to start investing in companies and what that kind of looks like today. I, I've been investing in companies for um, 20 years, actually. I started angel investing uh, 20 years ago. And um, really, it's, uh, it's because I love um, sort of innovation and technology trends. And it's a way for me to not only uh, keep track of what's going on, meet amazing people and uh, essentially make a bet on uh, where the future is going. And um, since I'm a technologist and a product person at heart, my bets have been pretty um, pretty well in terms of their outcome. <laughs> um, and, and a lot of it is because I'm very hands-on. I, I know the teams, I know the technology, I know the product, I know the market. So I tend to invest in areas I'm I'm uh, somewhat educated in, um, uh, but yeah, it, in healthcare, I've done a bunch of investments in the past five years, and it's all around uh, application of uh, analytics and machine learning, uh, AI to data. So, um, and it's it's working out pretty amazingly well. It's uh, it's moving a lot faster than than I expected, and a lot of it again goes back to. COVID uh, and the pandemic has forced uh, sort of very traditional institutions to adopt uh, modern platforms a lot faster. With that as well, then, with those investments and obviously in companies you, you know, spaces you have some understanding of, though, what are some of those questions you're asking of founders to evaluate them, determine, obviously, the worth of uh, your investment as an angel investor? What are some of those questions you're asking these founders? It really comes down to again: Are you are you the right team? So the team uh, composition is very important. Uh, after the team, you're looking at the overall um, market problem. 
the product uh, sort of innovation, uh, how defensible it is, and then the go-to-market, uh, all the questions you were asking about pricing, uh, do you have the right team to find out the go-to-market approach? Uh, do you have enough funding to get there? Are you able to raise additional funding if you need to? Or do you have the right team? And a lot of, lot of variables that goes into deciding if, uh, if that's the right bet. And obviously, uh, competition, both short-term and long-term, and, and potential exit uh, strategies, right? You look at, if you build this, uh, what is your exit? Can you, can you go public? Can you sell? Uh, and who are the strategic acquires around your uh, your potential market? So all those factors you have to look at before you invest. Today, you said that uh, this was a company with One Health that you're kind of most excited about. Take me through then your decision process. How do you choose what to work on or how you previously have chosen what to work on? And I know you mentioned kind of why you're, you're, doing, you're doing One Health now, but I'd be curious to hear more about your decision process around how you've chosen in the past what to work on in, in different projects because there's a lot of ambitious driven people listening and you know they may have a company now or they may be thinking of starting one and not sure i just love to hear more about how you've gone about that yeah it, there are so many good ideas and and problems to work on um i'm sure as you go to your daily life you come up with things that frustrate you and you <laughs> should be better or should be fixed. Um, so the challenge is, uh, you always start with a team. You have to find a team that, uh, is passionate, uh, and you believe they're going to stick with it and they have the right culture. Um, if you find that team, then it's worth diving into the problem set. Um, so I, I sort of always start with a team and say, okay, is there a team that I believe in that, that is actually passionate and wants to solve the problem? And then I look at, well, is this problem worth solving? And then you, you go down that, that thought process, right? Is, if it's worth solving, is it, is it solvable? Is it cost effective? Who are you competing with? Can you finance it? So, so it just the, the decision tree goes from there, but it always starts with a team. In the past as well, then, Looking at your your career, you had another company you were at that had a little bit of overlap, it looks like, from Viagene is the company. So take me through that experience, how that was growing that company. Viagene is actually a, a product of One Health. So we started, uh, we, we first shipped Viagene as a product, uh, and it is still a product of One Health. So it's the same company. Okay, same company. So why, why the separation, just to clarify? Yeah, One One Health is a platform, and and Vitagene is a consumer product, similar to AWS and Amazon. Yeah, yeah, and then with with that as well, and so with Vitagene, with that product, how have you gone about developing that over time? And obviously, there's a lot that goes into that, so it could be a lot of ways to answer this. But I'm curious as to how you've gone about that with with Vitagene. Yeah, it's a it's essentially a, a you know taking testing as a service. And then uh, taking the test results and going all the way uh, to show that you can make very specific recommendations to consumers around their diet and nutrition. Um, so that's an implementation of a, a intelligent algorithm, an AI algorithm that is taking your test results and, and trying to answer a very specific question, which is, 
now that you know me and my test results, uh, what should I do to live a healthier life on a daily basis through my nutrition? That's just one manifestation of an algorithm. Um, and we wanted to implement it so that we can show our investors and our partners uh, how far uh, testing as a service combined with intelligent algorithms can go. Um, and and Vitagene essentially takes it all the way to the end of, of shipping uh, a product to your home and telling you what to eat. So it's a very, very, uh, you know, sort of mature implementation of where this market is going. Uh, but we think that that's, uh, that's just one manifestation. Uh, there will be many, many uh, sort of implementations uh, on top of testing that you want to see in the future that might might speak to your skin condition, might speak to your dental needs, might speak to your um, hair needs, you know, to your fitness. Uh, it's just it's just trying to show where you can take this concept in the future. With it, then, are you gonna? I mean, do you have plans, or do you think that other you'll have other products that way, or will you be focusing more on the One Health? platform uh obviously you said you use viaging to kind of prove out that as well i'm just curious if you have any plans of that as well we already are working with a bunch of partners that are implementing uh their own branded experience on top of our platform gotcha uh so in fact there are examples of that out there like gnc for you that's also implemented on top of one health and uh, if you go to GNC and you sign up for that service, you're also running on the same platform. But it's a completely different brand. No, that makes total sense. And with all the things you have going on with, you know, obviously you're investing and running this company and everything as well. Take me through then today. Obviously, it's a, it's a pandemic, so it's maybe a bit different than it was pre-pandemic. But um, what, is, what does a day look like? What's your, your schedule? I'm kind of obsessed by these types of things. And obviously, it's different for everyone, but it's just kind of fascinating to hear how people decide how to spend their time. What does a day look like for you, Mehdi? Yeah, I, uh, I get up almost uh, every day at the same time, about 6.30 in the morning, uh, make my coffee, get my breakfast, uh, come to the office, which is in my house, <laughs> uh, sit in front of uh, three very large screens. And um, I typically have a set of goals for the day things that I want to work on and finish uh, and goals for the week and then long-term goals that I'm trying to advance. And um, I follow a very uh, sort of strict schedule. So I, I have a set schedule. I go through it um, uh, very, very sort of uh, uh, functionally. <laughs> and uh, then I have time set aside uh, for exercise and walking with friends or family members. Um, and I, I repeat the same thing. So it's a very um, disciplined way of sort of consuming my day. And I tend to do it, do this every day. So it's a, it's a routine. With that schedule as well, do, how do you decide on when to stop for the day? Do you have a set time that you set for that and then you have other things you do? Or do you just kind of keep working until the emails, until uh, you, you're tired and you have to stop? I don't know. I'm just curious as to how you kind of thought about I always, that. Uh, I always stop uh, right around uh, 5.36. Uh, typically, 
uh, either because you're walking our dog uh, or having dinner uh, or have guests over. But typically around 5.36, I stop. And uh, I try to not uh, go back to work unless it's absolutely required. Um, so I, I try to sort of separate the two. Um, and I think it's, it's healthy to just take your mind off and uh, do other things. Um, but I start early in the morning and it's, it's about 12 hours, uh, 6, 6.30 and I end about 6, 6.30 in the afternoon. And then uh, on weekends, how do you handle that as well, Mehdi? Weekends are usually family and friends. Um, so um, again, unusual circumstances might engage you or have meetings, but typically um, it's been uh, on other family-oriented uh, stuff, right? Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm not. I don't. I'm not a. I don't uh, subscribe to the fact that you can. Uh, you should be working, uh, you know, 24 seven. That's just, <laughs> I don't consider that very healthy. And, uh, honestly, sort of consider that a sign of, uh, not being organized or, or, or scaled enough. Yeah. When my, my, uh, team Sorry. members tell me that they're working, um, yeah, they're working, you know, 20 hours a day. That usually means, um, you either haven't hired the right people or you are not saying no to a lot of things around you. So um, it's not a good sign for me in terms of discipline if you're um, if you're that stressed out. Yeah, and from you being at a number of companies, uh, I think you're in a very great position to be able to say that. On that note as well, what are some things that help you to say no? I mean, I mean I'm sure you have a number of requests and different things that you could be doing every day. For you, then, how do you how do you say no? Um. Well, I think before you learn to say no, you you need to learn to delegate and and walk away uh, and give ownership to people. So I tend to, I'm a strong believer that um, to build a strong team, you have to give ownership to people. Um, so I tend to trust my team members, uh, let them own things, um, and and let them manage it. Uh, and I truly walk away, I will check back, but I don't spend time on their area of responsibility and ownership um, and, and expect that they are thinking about it and, and advancing the cause. Um, and then, uh, you know, on my own, um, you know, I have learned to be respectful and, and, you know, to be nice to people. You don't want to be an asshole. Yeah. Uh, but... Um, you know, you have to politely let people know that there, there are areas you're not interested in, you don't want to engage. Um, and you have to be decisive. Once you do make a decision and you take on a task, you have to finish it. The thing that I see a lot of people do is um, they start a task, uh, they don't finish it, they don't say no, and it becomes a to-do list. And before they know it, they have uh, so many open tasks that that stresses them out and they get overwhelmed. Uh, so I tend to make a decision rapidly. I don't always make it uh, perfectly. I realize that if I spend another three hours, I might you know, improve my decision by 10 or 15%, but it's not worth it in a lot of situations. Yeah. 
Um, so I, I tend to finish things off that are not strategic very quickly and move on to the areas that I know the investment will pay off. Maddie, have there been any books, whether it be personal or professional, that have been impactful in your life? Um, not really, no. Um, I mean, I read a lot, but um, I, I tend to feel like, um, you know, a lot of books uh, sort of try to capture uh, someone's uh, actual process implementation. And it tends to be uh, one person's process does not work for another person. <laughs> sort of uh, in a dogmatic fashion, following a set of recommendations on a book is not very organic. And I see a lot of people trying to do that. I think you just have to find a pattern that works for you. You can learn from some of the patterns other people are using. Um, but uh, I think you need to sort of be... Uh, be very uh, true to yourself and then decide what works for you and doesn't work for you and personalize it. Uh, otherwise, you don't stick with it. Um, so I, it's a it's a very personal thing, right? It's, it's something that you have to... And let, let me say, the, the, you know, trying to cheat your way into efficiency by following <laughs> only a template doesn't work. Let's put it that way. It's like if you're unwilling to work on yourself it's highly unlikely you will succeed. Um, so I think people who sort of get up, and I, I sort of have an innate reaction to people who get up in a, in a meeting or, or, or in a setting and uh, pick a book and say, we should all follow you know, book X or process X. That to me tells me you're unwilling to invest into making a personal organic process and you're trying to cheat your way into efficiency, and it doesn't work. Um, that also applies to almost everything in your life. It applies to your diet. It applies to your religion. Uh, it's If you want to succeed on these fronts, you have to invest the time to become authentic. And if you're not willing to be authentic, uh, then... Uh, you know, you're sort of following a template and it's, it comes across. It's very obvious you're not being sincere. Yeah. And you're not in love with the process, right? Well, to that point then, I mean, you mentioned working on yourself. How do you work on yourself? How do you improve upon what you're doing personally, Mehdi? I'm very self-reflective. I mean, I, I spend, when I go walking or biking, um, especially biking is is an amaz amazing uh time to synthesize your thought process. So I, uh, I sometimes bike for 20 miles and uh, during the bike session, I am uh, analyzing uh, my thought process, what I did and didn't do, um, what mistakes I made, how I thought about situations. And there's something about being active and thinking uh, <laughs> that, that is... Uh, is just amazing. Your brain uh, chemistry is so much more, uh, you know, productive when you're exercising. Yeah, uh, it's it's magical. <laughs> it's magical yeah, I, I I don't get it in team exercises. So I play soccer and do other things. Uh, it's too distracting because you're constantly interacting with other people. But in exercises like biking and and uh, running or or walking, you tend to have the ability to concentrate and be self-reflective.
there's something about yeah you mentioned the movement side of things i've gone on way more walks during the pandemic and just then we went way more walks actually recently too when i went all in on just go grind uh just reflecting and just thinking through all the different possible options of things to work on and do and really trying to focus through that movement though it's only been like through walking and for whatever reason um yeah you mentioned it's just such a magical thing of of being able to think through things while you're moving and it just clears everything up and every time i walk after i walk and get back home just like in a much better spot mentally uh and so i i take those walks frequently just for the mental side of things as you're going through your day and obviously you need physical activity anyways but just in terms of thinking of functioning functioning highly every single day like you kind of have some type of activity it's helpful at least i found um and a number of people i've talked to as well just being outside in nature combined with that is is uh is great as well and and just to kind of uh, wrap things up here with one health i mean you've talked about this a bit already but i'd love to give you a little more chance to talk about the big vision and where you see this company being, you know, 10, 20 years from now. I'm curious. Yeah. Um, I mean, we are definitely building, uh, for the future. So our vision is, uh, to be part of the, uh, health innovation network that's coming about. Um, I'm very excited. We think that, um, in the next 10 years, uh, increasingly, uh, consumers will take charge of their healthcare and live healthier, more uh, sort of preventive, uh, uh, you know, sort of health uh, lifestyle uh, through information uh, that is provided by platforms like ours. Uh, so, so definitely building this for the long haul, and we want to be part of our customers' journey. Um, and pretty excited about it. Um, that's that's all we focus on is on how do we serve these people better? How do we inform you better? Uh, how do we help you sort of uh, live a healthier life? Mehdi, where can people go to learn more about One Health and connect with you as well? It's uh, it's on our website. Uh, you know, the team is uh, taking a stab at sort of making it uh, more user-friendly, um, but um, all the information is there on the website. I'll be sure to link everything up as well. Discuss in the show notes, just go grind.com slash podcast. Mehdi, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. Oh, I appreciate the, the, the interest and, and the time that you spent with me. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. If you want to follow along on the socials for all things Just Go Grind and with me as well, you can find Just Go Grind on Instagram and Twitter at Just Go Grind. You can find me on Twitter at JustinGordon212. Find me on Instagram, JustinGordon8. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.